Good morning. My name is Adam, one of the pastors here at the church. I want to just say thanks to all of you for being here. If you're a guest of ours, a special welcome. If you're here every week and week in and week out, again, hope you're challenged this morning in your relationship with Jesus. Um, I want to start out with something I don't always have to do, I don't like doing, but I have to do it from time to time, and that's I want to issue an apology. Uh, last week, those of you who are in first service, towards the end of the service, I made a statement in my message. Uh, some of you remember it. I called some of you losers. Um, and there was some nervous laughter in the room, and as soon as it came out of my mouth, uh, it was one of those, ah, oh, what are you saying? That's not what's... And then the more I tried to talk to retract, the, the bigger it got, and I just thought, man, I should have just stopped and said, hey, can I do a redo? Uh, the biggest deal with that, why, why it pricked my conscience on the stage last week and then throughout this week was it did not represent the gospel of grace. Uh, it did not, it wasn't what well, we value grace so highly here at Bethany, so from the bottom of my heart, uh, please forgive me. I'm sorry. Um, I'm up here a lot saying words. The proverb rung in my heart this week where words are many, sin is not absent. Um, so anyway, so again, I want to just state that and kind of get out of the way. Second order business, um, Pastor Chris is back. Uh, yay. Chris and Cliff, Cliff here and Cliff Sa- um, uh, Gerald Souter is also. Sorry, Cliff Souter. That's, uh, sorry, Gerald. Um, <laughs> Uh, again, they were in Romania, so get, we're got, the plan is to have them share kind of about their experience. So uh, where that's coming, so look forward to that, but good to have them back. Final item of business just want to mention is you'll see in the um, lobby this morning, uh, we have a journal. We're on page 104. On the, it's a blue journal. Now there's a green one. If you, if you follow along with our sermons, you'll see 104. You're soon at the end, right? Uh, so the new one is here, and I just want to say this is one of the best-kept secrets, if you will. I mean, it's not so much a secret at Bethany. Uh, I am proud of this, uh, not because I, I don't think it's not all my work, but here's what I believe with all my heart. We as a church say, you know what? Engaging God personally. You heard Jonathan kind of sing about it and pray about it. God wants a relationship with every one of you. Uh, he's given us his word to get to know him, to encounter him. Uh, so we as a church encourage, deeply encourage you to say on your own, not just here in Sunday morning, but on your own, encounter God in the word of uh, in the Word of God, so we help you do that by putting a reading plan together, and then we even put it in a journal format that runs right along with our messages, a place to take notes, etc. So again, I think it's a key part of the growth that we uh, believe in so much here at Bethany, and so again, I want to mention they're out there, the new ones, which will be starting at the end of May. Well, that said, that's the business. Let me pray for us, and we're going to jump headlong uh, into our final week of So You're Dead, Now What? We've just been talking about kind of life after death, uh, what what does it really look like? We've talked about heaven and hell and all those other points. Uh, and now this morning, the real heart this morning is to make sure we end with a real practical, okay, how does it really impact my life and how do I live? So that's the heart this morning. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive headlong into that. God, thank you so much uh, for Jesus. Thank you for your grace and mercy. And I pray that um, this morning uh, you'd help me. Is, is my greatest prayer. I've been praying it all week. I want to end this series well. God, my heart is, I know many throughout this series have begun to doubt their salvation. That is not my heart at all in this series. Uh, my prayer is that people this morning would know the truth of the song we just sang, that when we were a believer in Jesus Christ, we're no longer slaves, we're children, we're free. Uh, we can have assurance, we can have security. Um, so God, thank you for that. God, my prayer is we end this series that we'd all walk out of here with security. And for those that are insecure in their relationship with you, that aren't quite sure what happens if they die, and God, I pray that this morning they would do business with that and they would take care of that in their own heart. 
And God, for the rest of us that are walking with Jesus and, and kind of have that sense of security, God, would you press in on us the reality of eternal life? Uh, that, uh, give us an eternal perspective and may it guide the way that we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A little over a week ago, uh, I was driving home from Mifflin County, uh, Pennsylvania. The reason I was up there, it's about two hours uh, kind of up the Lewistown region, up in Milroy, Reedsville, if any of you are familiar with that area. I spent four years of my life there right out of college. Uh, that was my first ministry as an associate pastor. Headed back up for a funeral, uh, a guy by the name of Pete, Pete Herman was his name. Uh, he was the worship leader for as long as I can remember at that church, uh, before I was there, still after I was there. Uh, Pete was an elder at the church, uh, and Pete passed away at the age of 71 after a tragic scuba diving accident. Uh, so uh, because of the relationship I had with the church, with Pete, I decided to uh, head on up. So I'm driving home. Here's what I was, re- was kind of thinking about the series, actually, kind of thinking where we're at. And I thought, man, one thing I really appreciated is throughout the service, Pete was honored well. And the thing I continue to hear is how I remembered Pete. Pete was full of joy. You can never interact. I mean, his cup was always half full. He was never negative. He was always praising God. He loved Jesus Christ. He was always inviting people to the church. He worked as a general manager for Murph Radio. If any of you are familiar with that area up there, kind of the adult contemporary station. And so I'm driving home. I'm thinking, man, there is a life well lived. I began to process my own life. I began to think of it. I thought, you know what? My greatest concern is for me and for others is I think many of us die at age 25 and are only buried at 71. I was thinking about Peter, though. You know what? Pete lived to 71. He didn't just coast. He didn't just exist. He lived with all of his energy and all of his might. But I'm afraid so often, many of us, we step into life young and with passion, with energy. We meet Jesus and we say, yes, this is what we want. We have clear vision on our heart and we run hard and we run fast. And somewhere along the line, life hits. We get busy, we start paying bills, we start raising kids, we start having a spouse, we, all this good stuff, but it begins to creep in, and many of us die at 25 and are only buried at 75. So we began to process and think about this, I thought, man, you know what, I don't want that to be the case. So here's the question I want to kind of throw out. How would your life be different if you knew that in 30 days it was done? Would it change? Take a look, say, so today's May 1st, May Day, right? I know no poll here and dancing around a poll. Uh, but May, May 30th, if you knew at 5 o'clock, it was done. Now, I'm not talking because you met with a doctor, and the doctor says it's terminal, and so therefore you've got to go home and get your affairs in order. You've got two to four weeks. I'm not talking. I'm talking about you know, somehow in some way, you know that on May 30th at 5 o'clock, it was all over. Would it change the way that you live? Now, some of you may say, yeah. I'm going off the, I'm getting that bucket list taken care of. I'm finally taking that Mediterranean cruise that I've always wanted to take. That's number one on my bucket list. If you haven't, if you ever, anyone ever want to contribute to that, I would be more than happy to receive that gift. <laughs> so you say, okay, so I'm going to get my, but I'm, I believe with all my heart, most of you in this room know, no, you wouldn't go after your bucket list. You want to do things that really last, have an eternal impact, that really matter. You know, kind of building off last week, we talked about last week, what we do in life echoes in eternity. So how do I invest my time here on earth? 
I got some notes in your bulletin. are going to answer this question. Just kind of some. I don't always do this, but I decided to this week. Going to do some fill in the blank. Now to jump into it. Here's what I did. Uh, this week in my studies, I kind of went through and looked at all of the statements in Scripture that reference crowns or rewards that you're going to receive. The Christian receives when they get to heaven. Uh, is, is what we're really going to look at. So I'm going to try and back that off. And okay, so if I get a crown for this, then that ought to be something I should be doing now. Uh, so that's kind of what I work through. The only crowns and rewards I'm not going to talk about are there's one that talks about if when I endure and also I uh, live well through trial. Um, I'm not going to, because they really tied in with last week's message, so I'm going to work through the others uh, that I kind of work through. Now here's the other thing I want to say. I want to start right out of the gates and say my wife is going to enjoy this. I ask her permission to use her name and share this. Um, I had to come home to my wife this week and say, sweetie, I was wrong you were right. <laughs> she knew. <laughs> the, the dreaded word, I think, of most husbands. We hate to say it, right? Now, here's what it is. I've kind of held a view that Jesus, when you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Romans 8.1 and Romans 5, verse 24, say, give this picture. There is now no condemnation for those that are in Jesus. So I've always held this passionate view that the Christ follower does not need to fear judgment, does not need to fear condemnation. There is no more judgment. There is no, it's all wiped out. Now, over the years, Tanya and I would have these conversations. Pastor-wife problems, I know. I don't know how many of you uh, have these. We go out and dates and we talk about this, and so we'd kick this stuff around. It's always fresh in my mind. And she maintained the line that said, no, Christians are going to be judged at the end time. I'd say, no, they're not. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, this week in my studies, I really had a wrestle. And I came home and said, sweetie, you know what? I'm going to shift my views. So pastors do that. Theologians do that. Um, but here's why I want to unpack this because I think this sets the foundation for where we're going this morning. Here it is, the first verse. It's probably the verse that my wife would have, would have um, held to. By the way, that's why my wife is going to join me on stage next week for Mother's Day because she's a better theologian than I am. Um, I'll give a little plug for that next week. 2 Corinthians 5.10. Uh, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. Who's going to stand before Christ to be what? Judged. Who is it? All. So I wrestled with this, and I've always known this verse was here, but I did some uh, theologic and hermeneutical gymnastics to kind of get around this, but I want to get to another verse in a minute. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. So here's this verse that comes out and says, listen, every one of us, if you're a believer in all people actually, but all of us are going to stand before God and he's going to say, okay, what have you done with the life that I've given you for good or bad? Now this next verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, is even scarier, uh, but on the judgment day, five Fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So again, on that final day, we're going to stand before God, and there's this trial. And here it's almost this fiery trial. Like he's going he's to just scorch everything. And if what you have lasts... You're going to get a reward. But this painful verse is some of us are going to barely, by the skin of our teeth, get into heaven. Uh, this next one, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and this one's the one that will make it very practical for us and lead us into where we're going this morning. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time. This is a great verse. I mean, in your, in your interpersonal relationships with your friends, with your family members, don't judge them. 
Because there is a judge ultimately that's going to judge them. So don't judge them before the Lord returns. For he, now here's what's his judgment. Here's what it looks like. For he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. Then, now here's what I think the judgment looks like. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. So what I really believe with all my heart that this kind of week, I really studied this and I came home and said to my wife, you know, you were right. I might have been wrong. Um, might have to hear that. <laughs> I'm still having a hard time laying it down. <laughs> God is going to search our hearts. God is going to judge us. Now, I don't think we're going to be condemned. I really, I still hold to that. He's not going to condemn you. He's not going to wave his little bony finger at you and say, how dare you, Adam? Scripture is very, very clear that God, his forgiven sin, when he forgives us sin, he does not remember it. He wipes it out. He's not going to bring it back up. He's not going to say, oh, Adam, what in the world were you thinking? I think what he is going to do, though, He's going to search my motives. He's going to search my heart. He's going to lay my life out. And then he's going to hand over to me rewards that are due me, the praise that is due me. And I think in conjunction with that 1 Corinthians 3 passage, some of us aren't going to get a lot of rewards. And I think at that point, we're going to feel the loss. We're going to grieve. We're going to sit there and say, man, I wasted my life. So I don't think God's going to condemn us, but I think he is going to give us the praise that is due us. Now, to work into, okay, so how does, if I have 30 days left to live, how do I live well in those 30 days? Well, I think this verse starts us out, and I think that would be the first one. Check your motives. See it right there? What's the, what are the things he's going to look at? Your secrets. So the first thing is I say, okay, what secrets do you have? What things are you not telling the people around you? Matter of fact, what things might you not even be telling yourself? If you ever met the alcoholic, you know they're an alcoholic. Everyone around them knows they're an alcoholic, but what do they tell themselves? Oh, no, I can control this. It's a secret. God says, I'm going to call those things out. But more than that, look at what he says. He says, I'm going to also check the motives of the heart. So the first thing, if you're those 30 days you have left, here's where I think you'd start. If you're going to do it well, I think it starts with checking your motives. This is why one of the things I am passionate about for Christ followers, I say, you know, I think one of the things that we neglect, I think we should be spending more time confessing and repenting of our righteous acts than we actually do our sin. So what does that mean, Adam? I'm afraid too often the good things that we do, we are doing them to settle down our own guilt, to, to satisfy our own identity and to make us someone, to, to pat our own ego, to say, look at who I am, to, to try and earn something from God. I'm going to do this to, to satisfy God. And all that is God's going to say, I'm calling it all out. I want to know that you served me. The things that you did were done in response to my love for you. I'm going to call out all this stuff, and I'm afraid too often, myself included, we as Christ followers should be stopping and say, you know what, God, I repent of my righteousness, not just my sin. Because a lot of times that righteousness is what we would call self-righteous. So the first thing, check your motives. I think the second thing, if you open with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, the other rewards that I found in, as I was reading this, kind of looking at this study this week, I think are kind of summed up in this one passage. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4 Verse 7 to 10. If you don't have a Bible, grab the one there in the seats in front of you. You can find 1 Peter 4 and 1025. We'd also say if you don't have a Bible or looking for a good Bible, take that one home with you. It's a gift from us to you. But 1 Peter chapter 4. It 
It starts out, the end of the world is coming soon. Okay, so in other words, you've got 30 days to live, let's say. How would I live differently? The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, so because of that, because the world is going to end soon, you don't have a lot of time, Peter says, here's how I want you to live. Now, he's going to give us some very practical things. So this is, again, trying to make this whole series practical. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined. I want to stop right there. Be earnest and disciplined. In some of your translations, you see the word sober or sober-minded. It means to be steady and clear, uh, clear-headed. In other words, Another way, kind of maybe a modern translation would be to say, therefore, keep cool. You know, sometimes when we start focusing on the end of the world, what do you see? People either get real laissez-faire, like let's just live and let live because I don't got any time, or they'll slip, flip to the other end and get all uh, hyper-zealous and start running around and, you know, the end of the world is coming and he's saying, hey, just stay cool and be disciplined. Now he's going to tell us what to be disciplined. Here it comes. Be disciplined in your prayers. So... 30 days left to live. What do I focus on? How about prayer? Um, would be the one I'd throw out. I went on my spiritual retreat a few weeks ago, something I do every year. In this past retreat, I decided to really focus on this word right here because prayer is a spiritual discipline. I don't know about you, but I struggle with. I can read the Bible and journal in one of these things really well. I, hard, I, can, I can go through and hardly miss a day. I can study. I can discipline myself to give. I can do all kinds of spiritual disciplines. But for some reason, prayer eludes me. I'll sit down to pray, uh, and I'll b- begin to either fall asleep or my mind drifts or I start daydreaming or it's before long I'm doing anything but prayer. I thought, okay, so God, I just want to go away and say, God, what do I, why do I struggle with this? Here's, I just want to share, I'm not going to go deep with it because it's still very personal with me, but let me share some of the things that God laid in my heart. The first, here's the big thing. I think too often I was taking prayer too seriously. And it was becoming some kind of religious burden or duty that I had to accomplish. You say, what well, should be serious? Well, you know what prayer really was to me as I went away? It's simply God who delights in me. I'd say the same for you. God delights in you. You know, we say all the time, God loves you. You know, I'd say it this way. If you're in Jesus, God likes you. And what prayer really becomes is it's a loved child or a freed slave, tying in with the song we just sung, or, or a party guest. Luke chapter 15 picks up this. It's kind of like a, you're guest at a party. I get to sit and talk with my father as a delighted son. I really focus on, you know what prayer really is and why I think I struggle is because the Christian life, it's about having a relationship with a person, not a proposition. I think too often in the, in the theological camp that I was trained in and that I've grown up in and even this church finds itself in, we put so much emphasis on correct doctrine and teaching. Therefore, Bible study becomes really easy for me. But you know what? I, didn't, I don't have a relationship with a doctrine. I have a relationship with a person. And his name's Jesus. And I'm going to go, if if I've got 30 days left to live, at the end of that 30 days, I'm going to be with him face to face. So I think Peter says, if that's the case, talk to him now. What makes you think you're going to enjoy your relationship there if you don't enjoy it here? Talk to him. Get to know him. Have a relationship with a person, not just a proposition. Now the next thing it builds from, look at this, after prayer... So it kind of builds. So be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. So I think the second thing, I've got 30 days left to live, pray, 
Check your motives, pray, and then show deep love. Some of your translations say fervent or reverent or this, this. I mean, it's not just love. It's like, wow, it is love. Now, here's where I think this flows from prayer. On my retreat, I've spent time focusing on the Lord's Prayer. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, what's one of the things we pray? Forgive us this day our debts. You know what's cool about that? What really challenged my heart? Every single morning, every single time we go to prayer, God is asking us to ask for forgiveness, to seek it, to grant, to state it. God, thank you for your forgiveness. You know why it's cool? God knows that you are going to continue to struggle and you're going to continue to sin. Built right into his prayer is his mercy. It's never ending. He says, continue to come before me. Don't hide it. I know it's there. Now, once I I then understand how I sin against God, what's the very next thing in the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our sins as we forgive our, our debtors. So flowing from one is the other. So I think, man, listen, as you pray, you pray and constantly come before God, then you show this deep, reverent love. Now, this word fervent or deep uh, that, that the New Living picks up on, in the Greek language, it's like an athlete straining for a goal. I mean, have you ever set a mark to run a marathon or a 5K? Or maybe if you remember way back in the day when you were maybe played sports and you had some kind of benchmark that, what did you do when you set that goal? You pushed for it. You disciplined your body. You strained. And that's what this same picture is that Peter's picking up on. So as I thought about that, I thought, you know what? Some of us, I think, have this picture that love is just going to be natural and easy, that I'm going to feel it. Well, I'd suggest, no, it's something we really have to work at, strive for, dig deep, run hard. Now, if you continue reading, look at the love. I, look at the, I stopped at the middle of verse 8. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. I think this is real practical. When you love people, you cover over their sins. Now, yes, this means, this means that you're not a person, that every time someone sins in your life, you're whack, 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 whack. That's, soon you're not going to have a lot of friends in your life. People are going to avoid you. So number one, it means that, yes, I'm not a person who's always exacting a standard that the people in my life have to live up to. So I think it carries that. But more than that, the word cover, what, is, what do you do when you cover something? You hide it, right? If I cover, if I pull the covers up over my head, I hide. So what love really does is it hides sin, as I thought about this picture, I thought, well, does love condone sin? I'd say, no, it doesn't say it condones sin. It says it covers it. Here's what I think this looks like. When I really love you, when I see that you sin and you do something, man, it's really bringing a mess in your life. I grieve for you. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to step towards you to hide that sin. I think that's the picture of this verse. In other words, when I hate someone, when I have contempt for you, when I don't like you, what do I do with your sin? I don't cover it at all. Hey, did you see Chris? Oh my goodness. Did you see Susie? Did you see John? Did you, did you, can you believe this? We gossip, we slander, we spread it all over the place. It's not covering. But when I cover sin, what I do is I step towards you and I keep it between you and I. I'm not going to run it all over the town. I think the greatest picture of this, the greatest practical illustration we have in the scriptures in Genesis chapter 9, when Noah, you know Noah, Noah in the ark, some of you aren't from, if you aren't, didn't grow up with the Bible, you've probably at least heard of him. 
After the flood, after his ark lands, and they come out, Noah decides to plant a vineyard. And now Noah's making some really good wine, okay? Noah has this uh, amazing vineyard, good wine. He, he probably was drinking a little too much one day, and he ends up drunk. Now his sons, his one son, uh, Ham, not a cool name, Ham. You ever name your kid Ham? Ham shows up, and Ham finds his dad drunk as a skunk. And, compl- and when we get drunk, we tend to do things we, don't, we wouldn't do otherwise. So here Noah is completely naked. And Ham finds him, and what Ham immediately does, it says in the text, is he, in Genesis chapter 9, he immediately leaves his tent where he finds his father and runs out to the family and spreads it all over the place. Hey, guys, dad's drunk. He's naked. It's not covering over sin. So his brothers, Shem and Japheth, they come in to his dad and they pick up a cover. Literally, this is why it's such a beautiful illustration. They literally cover him. They pick it up and they walk backwards. They don't even look at his dad's, their dad's nakedness. They walk backwards and lay a cover, a physical cover over their father. When he comes awake, comes out of his drunken stupor, he has some very nasty things to say towards Ham and he honors Shem and Japheth. Love covers over a multitude of sin. When you see people sinning, when you love them well, you cover it, you hide it, you keep it between you and them. You don't spread it and run it around. So love does that well. The next thing in the text, keep moving here. Look at verse 9. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. So the way I'd say this is this is hospitality. And it doesn't just say do it begrudgingly. It says cheerfully and hospitably share your stuff. Share your stuff. And this is a big one. Um, Matthew chapter 25, in the whole passage, it's looking at the end times when God is breaking up the, the sheep from the goats, the believer from the unbeliever. He says to them, listen, what you do to them, you've done to me. Powerful statement. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, it says that we are not to live on this earth for our physical reward. Money, stuff, grabs hold of our heart in powerful ways. It's like a tractor beam. It just sucks us out. We live for it. We get consumed with it. It detracts us, I think, uh, from eternal perspective and living more than anything else. It says at the end of Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God and have treasure in heaven. Matthew chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul comes along and he talks to people who have stuff. All of us in this room have stuff. We live in America. We are in the top, we are in the high percentage, top 10% in the world, top richest people. Talked to Chris this week about Romania as he's talking. He talked about the poverty that he saw. We know nothing of poverty. We are wealthy people. And Paul gets to Timothy and he's writing to him. He says, listen, tell those who have stuff not to depend on their stuff, but to do good deeds. And in turn, you're going to have a reward in heaven. So Peter here, show hospitality. Use your stuff to serve people. You know, in Rome, I'm a, I shared this before, I'm a, I love Roman history learn a lot about leadership and sociology and all kinds of stuff. You know what they did? And some of you have heard this. been a student of this. You've heard this. You know what the Roman emperors believed? If we can simply keep the people from being hungry and if we keep them from being bored. So feed them and entertain them. We'll steal their freedom. Have you ever heard the term bread and circus? That's where it comes from. The Roman emperors thought, man, all we have to do is do the social welfare programs and let's keep these people's tummies filled up. 
and let's continue to run games in the, in the Colosseum and keep them entertained. And if we can do that, we, we steal their freedom. I think the same is true spiritually. Some of us get so filled up. We say so entertained. And it completely robs us of our freedom. And we're going to get to heaven one day. And when we stand before him and God's handing out rewards, we aren't going to get a lot. Because we got all of our stuff here. And I don't know about you, but I don't want my stuff here. I want it there. So there's a deep challenge here. I would also suggest this. I want to, if any of you are readers, John Piper, um, kind of a Reformed Baptist theologian, uh, he wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life. I highly encourage it if you've never read it. And in it, here's, I want to just throw this out. Sometimes we say, well, okay, let's live simply. Well, he, I wanna, this isn't a direct quote from him, but this is borrowing his thought. He would suggest that we don't focus on living simple, which is a, very, it's a buzzword right now. There's been some authors that have, I think there's one, one book even published called Simple or something along those lines. But he would suggest living a wartime lifestyle, not a simple lifestyle. So as we live like we're going to war, when we're going to war, man, we don't go after it. And he says, here's why. Simplicity has this romantic aesthetic appeal. Like it's kind of cool, the buzz thing to do. But it's foreign to the dirty business of mercy. More than that, think about a war. When we go to war, what does it cost? Billions of dollars. Billions and billions of dollars to go to war. Especially if you want to win the war. So I think what Piper brings out is it's not about living simple. It's not about giving up and taking vows of poverty. It's about living a wartime lifestyle and saying, okay, I have stuff, but my stuff is here to be used for mission, to be used to accomplish, to win the war, if you will, to win the battle. So again, I think that, but Peter says, man, use your stuff, care for people with your stuff. Now, the final one he says is serve others. Look at verse, and this is what kind of leads, and I'm not going to read all the verses, but I'm just going to read the first one uh, that jumps into this, uh, verse 10. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Then he unpacks what that really looks like in those following verses that we aren't going to look at. So all of us, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been given a gift. Do you believe that? You are gifted. Somebody say, no, not me. No, you are gifted. And God has given you that unique gift to serve the people around you. And in serving the people around you, you're storing up a reward for you in heaven. In two weeks, we're going to jump into a series called Jump In. I didn't, that's playing words there. I'll jump into a series and jump in. Uh, it's where we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. We're going to unpack this at great length. But for now, I just want to show you this one verse. This is Paul, who um, I think understood this. After all, what gives us hope and joy, and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? What's he say? Isn't this cool? It's you. I love this. So Paul served people well. He was given a gift. He didn't have all the gifts. None of us do. I don't think Paul had the gift of mercy. I don't think Paul had to give you go down a list of gifts Paul did not have. But Paul took his gift that God had given him and served people. So much so that when he gets to heaven, what he believes is when he gets a reward, when Jesus judges, when Jesus lays it all out, he believes that when he gets to heaven, his reward is going to be the people that he poured into. And he's going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. So again, as you unpack this, so we want to check our motives. We want to pray. We want to show deep love, use our stuff well, use our gifts to serve others. So you've got 30 days to live. How would you live? What would you change? 
Now, here's what I would suggest. I would turn, suggest you turn your when into now. You know, some of us, oh, I'll start dieting when, or I'll start this when, or when. When's a big word. No, now. Get rid of the when. You say, okay, if I'm going to die, turn when and now. Turn intentions. Some of us have great intentions. I have good intentions. I have good intentions to lose 20 pounds. Well, turn it into action. Some of us, I'd say, turn your whole heart to Jesus. It's kind of like as I'll use this illustration. When I was in later elementary school, I, was, I struggled in school. I don't know if any of you relate to that, but I had a hard time getting through school. And I came up with this one day. I'm, I'm going through our math textbook, and I realized, you guys you remember this? I don't know why they did this. But what was in the back of the math books, for those of you who remember? What did they put back there? The answers. Now, I asked my kids. They don't do this anymore today. I think they got smart. They said, <laughs> they weren't done. And here's what I used to, I would think. I would struggle and struggle and struggle. But then finally, I'd take a peek. Oh, 102. Okay, so I'd write it in over here. I'd take it to the teacher, and the teacher would look at it. And what did the teacher know I did? He knew I did. The teacher's like, come on, Adam. Now, what would the teacher say to me? What do I want to see? I want to see your work. You know, Philippians chapter 1, God began a good work in you. He wants to see it complete. He knows you have the answer. All of us have the answer. Jesus, it's the answer. Jesus died for you. He rose for you. He gave you new life. In Jesus, there is now no condemnation. In Jesus, you are holy and righteous and pure. In Jesus, you have the answer. You know what the back of the book says. You have it. Now he's looking at you and saying, let me see the work. Let me see the work. Determine. Here's what I'd say it this way. I'll end with this. Determine what you're willing to die for and then go live for it. I want to tell a story. Tanya told me this week, she thinks I've shared this here. And she also told me it's a tired story and one that everyone's heard. So I apologize. Now she's frowning at me going, so you don't say that. Um, <laughs> so I'm hoping maybe you heard it, maybe you haven't. This is said to be a true story. I don't buy it. I've Googled it. I can't find it anywhere. I have read that some of the Greek philosophers did this with their students. But it's said to be a true story. I, I use this as a coach. I coach football. I have for years. I coached high school football. I'm now coaching midget football. Um, and what I, I always use this in the fall. I'll stand up and look at the kids, and I'll tell them this story. And this is what we'll end with, this, end this whole series with. I'd say, listen, there's a story of an incredibly well-known and famous basketball coach. Won national championship upon national championship. There was a student on campus who really dreamed of playing big-time college basketball. He didn't quite make it. He didn't quite have the skill to, to capture this coach's attention to get recruited. But he heard that the coach held uh, scholarships out for walk-on athletes. So he's there on campus. He enrolled at the school. He finally one day gets the courage up to go and sit down with the coach. And he says, Coach, I want to play basketball for you. The coach says, well, tell me about that. Why do you want to play for me? So he starts laying out about how good he starts talking about his skill set. He starts talking about all these attributes about his game. And the coach says, hey, let me see. Let's see what you got. So the coach stands up and walks out of the locker room, and he walks into the gym. As he gets into the gym, the player begins, his hands begin to kind of get sweaty, and he's beginning to get nervous. Oh, he's going to look at my shot. He wants to see what I have. And, but the coach continues through the gym to say, follow me. Just keep following me. They go in kind of into the, the weight room in the track area, and he's like, man, he wants to see how strong I am. And, and, then he, and then he says, well, no, he continues to walk past that. And then he says, well, he wants to see how fast I am. He's going into the track, walks past that, walks out into the indoor pool. 
gets to the edge of the, the pool and walks right down in with all his clothes on. Now, the player stops at the edge of the pool, as the story goes, and he begins to take his expensive basketball shoes off. And the coach says, oh, I said follow me. Don't worry about your shoes. So the player kind of slowly steps down in the water. He's kind of concerned. What's this all about? You know, if, if you were in a position, you can imagine the, the what's, what's up with this? He gets right up to the coach, and the coach, with cat-like reflex, grabs the back of his head and throws him under the water and holds him in a position that the player cannot get up. He is grasping for life. He's like, get this, and he's, he's trying to reach and get the coach's hand off. He's trying to kick the coach. He's doing everything he can to think, this guy's trying, this guy's nuts. He's trying to kill me. 30 seconds, 40 seconds, 50 seconds, and he is fighting like the longer it goes, the more he's fighting. Well, soon the fight runs out. Soon he has no oxygen left in his lungs, and he just gives up. At that point, the coach removes his hand. The player flies up out of the water and just starts yelling at the coach, what is wrong with you? Coach lets him do it, takes all the assault, After it silences, the coach looks back at him and puts his finger up and says, listen, when you desire to play basketball like you desired that breath of air, come back and talk to me. As the story goes, again, they say it's true. I don't know if it is or not. story goes, the player never came back. He walked off. He didn't want to play basketball for the right reasons. He didn't hunger for it more than anything else. It was a game to him, and that's all. Now, I'd say this, in the Christian life, you have so much more to live for than a win-loss column on a basketball scoreboard. You have Jesus Christ, who died for you, who went to hell and back, who took on the wrath of God so that he can look at you, God can look at you, because of your faith in him and say, you're my child. You win. You're in. You have security there. Now go live well. So I'd say as I go to prayer, what are you willing to die for? Have you ever asked that question? You've got 30 days left to live. What is it you're willing to die for? And I'd turn it around and I'd say, let's go live for it. Hunger after it like we hunger for that breath of air if your head was held underwater for a minute. What are you willing to live for? God, thank you so much for Jesus. God, we love you. God, we look forward to that day. Uh, I know even this week as I started to kind of, (laughs) as if I changed my own views, God, understanding what it really is going to be to stand before you. God, I know it says there's no tears in heaven, but I think, I wonder, if there isn't going to be a lot of weeping on that day. When we stand before you. And you check our hearts. You look at our secrets. You check the motives. You look at what we did with our stuff and the gifts that you've given us. You look at how we've prayed and just maintained a relationship with you. God, how I look forward to that day. Um, God, I pray that all of us do. Help us, God. Give us the strength and the courage to live well now. Understanding what life is really about, what it is that lasts, so that we can enjoy those moments with you. When you look at all the stuff and you hand out the rewards, the crowns as the scriptures call them, our stuff that we get there, God, we want to hear so bad, well done, that good and faithful servant. 
God, I just finally, I pray, I pray with all of my heart. I know throughout this series, I've talked with a number of people who've just kind of doubted their salvation. God, that was not the heart of this series in any way, shape, or form. God, I pray right now, as this series comes to a close, that people would know the security that they can have in Jesus Christ. The security that is theirs by their simple faith and trust in what you have done for them in Jesus. And that locks it up. And then it sets us free, free to go live and complete the work that you've started in us as we walk with you, our heavenly father. God, we love you. Help us to live well. In Jesus' name, amen.